right, inappropriate Earl. We've been cranking them out uh, lately. We got, uh, I think we had two or three uh, this week. We got uh, this episode on Sunday. We got uh, the great Jax Taylor from Vanderpump Rules coming uh, tomorrow. That's a big one because he's a big hockey guy. I mean, big hockey guy. So that'll be fun to talk, not just about Vanderpump Rules, but uh, uh, someone who's as knowledgeable about hockey as I am, which is rare in Los Angeles. And then we got the great, uh, probably uh, second to Don Barris in terms of uh, audience warm-up skills, the great Gary Cannon bringing Joey Greco, the second host of Cheaters. Uh, They're going to do a nice uh, episode this week. Uh, I love Cheaters, although I was a little partial to Tommy Grand, the the OG host. But uh, Joey Greco, uh, he did it with a little bit more class. Uh, But today we have uh, this dude uh, I don't really know a lot about, which I actually like. Some of the better episodes lately have been... uh, I'll have anyone on this show, like uh, Johnny Stewart. Never really had much interaction with him. He was a great episode. And uh, Heather Marulli, you know, you know, when you see people up at Roast Battle, you say, hey, what's up, dude? Or, hey, you know, give a girl a hug. And, you know, that's pretty much your interactions. So it's nice to uh, meet some of the younger roasters and whatnot. And I think I judged uh, this man. I don't know if it was his first roast, but it was one of his earlier roasts. It was my first roast, actually. Eric Abenante. Thank you, thank you. In the house. I wanted to get his last name out of the way because it's a doozy. You, and uh, You're one of the few who's ever got it right. So, Well, know, I respect proud. the fact that, you know, I have a semi-tough uh, last name, Skakel. It shouldn't really be that hard. Uh, I get Skakel, Skunkel, Skakel. Skunkel, uh, goddamn. Yeah, I mean, well, it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's really not that hard, but... Uh, I'm sure that's how you feel about your last name. My dad actually didn't know how to pronounce his own last name for like 25, 30 years. Like he was saying it Abenant because he's from Michigan. And then he was ha- he was getting his hair cut by this Italian barber. He's like, no, it's Abenante. And, you know, it's like I can't I can't believe he didn't even know how to pronounce his own last name. But, you know, if, if he can't, I don't care if anyone else, you know, can't pronounce it. It happens. It's actually usually like if like like a host, like when they introduce me and they fuck up my last name, it's usually like a good chance to like throw in a bit or something. So sometimes it's a good opportunity. Now, what's your story? Like, I know nothing about you. Where are you from? Uh, I grew up in Utah. I was born in Santa Monica, but I grew up. uh, My dad got a job in Utah. When I was like three, he actually had a choice between Portland and Salt Lake City, which are like the two most opposite places. And so I grew up in Salt Lake City. I uh, gr- I was one of the one of a thousand Jews in Utah, and uh, so that was interesting. Just surrounded by Mormons, and yeah, I gr- I went to University of Utah, got a psychology degree, graduated, and then got the hell out of Utah five days after I graduated to do stand-up here in L.A. Now, what? Uh, that's a very uh, ballsy move to come from Utah to L.A. to get into comedy. Because L.A. is probably the worst place in the world to start stand-up in. Because like, I think me and Johnny were talking about, like you're going up against people who are already established. They've already bombed elsewhere so they can come here, you know, running uh and how what were what was it like starting in la because i did as well and it was you know tough 
I really like it. I I know I listen to a lot of other comedians and they always said, no matter what, you're going to end up in L.A. anyways. And so I just figured why just cut out the middleman and just start in L.A. And, you know, when you grew up in Utah, it's not the most like the sense of humor. They're not it's not a very creative place. Uh, and so it, it was just so easy to get out. I, as soon as I graduated, I got out and, uh, and coming here and starting here, I really like it because you, you have to learn a couple habits. Like most people in LA, when they, when they're watching you, they're on their phones, they're not paying attention. And it's it, most LA comedians are really, if they're good, they're good at pulling people's attention. And I think that's one of, that's like a good skill that I may, I might not have if I started somewhere else, but it's tough. It's, it is tough here. Like, what did you start out doing? Just open mics, coffee houses, bar shows, stuff like that. Yeah. My first time I ever started was at Flappers. That was the first comedy club I'd ever heard of. Sorry about that. Yeah. Yeah. That I could get up. It was actually, I didn't know like the, um, I didn't know what people had described about it and what the vibe was, but I, it, when I went in there, I actually had a great set, but yeah, I never really went back. Cause it's, it is a very weird, weird place, but I ended up doing a lot of coffee shops, uh, rock paper coffee was, uh, was like a place that shut down that a lot of comedians went to. And I, I went there a lot. Um, yeah, it's, there's just a lot of random places in LA that, most of them shut down by now, you know, like it's kind of weird how that works. Like these open mics in LA, they'll pop up for a couple months and then they'll be shut down eventually. Yeah. I mean, I would say, uh, most of the venues that I did stand up in my first five years are all gone, you know, just shut down. I mean, running an open mic, isn't the most, uh, profitable, uh, business, uh, yeah, we don't have money. We don't have any money. That's the one thing I didn't realize um, coming into comedy is no comedians have any money. Essentially, like everyone's broke. Well, not everyone. Well, I mean, you know, the you know most people. I, I am sitting in an, an exception to the rule, but uh, right here. But it's most most people don't have the you know don't have money. I actually plan to come out here. I heard Bill Maher got through college by dealing. Do you want me to? No, no, sorry about that, uh, Eric. For, for what you don't know is uh, I've recently switched over to all Apple products, and I have yet to figure out how to turn off certain <laughs> things. So uh, right now my one friend Daniel is trying to video chat me, and not only is it ringing on my phone, it's ringing on my iPad and my uh my uh whatever you call this thing uh imac so uh you're so youthful in so many ways but not with the technology <laughs> oh, i'm horrible at technology <laughs> i had to have the legend of brian redband come over and uh hook all three systems up because like to me i'm blown away that if i i could be at the gym uh you know on my elliptical doing my hour and five minutes uh and i could uh, dictate a note into pages which is like you know, Microsoft Word yeah. for Apple products. And then when I come home, that joke is on my iPad and iMac. Like, it's, that's mind-blowing to me because you couldn't do that with a PC. Yeah, to me, like, are you still a comedian who writes bits down physically? Because all of my bits are on, like, on the internet now, and I can't, I couldn't imagine doing comedy without copy and paste, like, and editing. And it's like the the... 
for me, like I'm always amazed at the comedians who have notebooks. Like those are the impressive ones to me because I can never do that. I get a carpal tunnel. Well, what I do is I, uh, you know, I'm certainly not a writer in the vein of Pat Barker or, uh, you know, Doug Fager. And I'm talking about stand-up writing mm -hmm. right now. I mean, those guys are, you know, animals. Um, I try and write five jokes a day and I put them on my iPad and then I, uh, you know, it's hard to do new material at the comedy store because it's like this, just the stakes are too high there. You, you can't really risk bombing at the store because, uh, someone's always watching that can help you or, or hurt you. Uh, you know, it's like the other night, there's a late night spot. Uh, and Adam, you know, the talent coordinator was in the room. Like it was probably 1230. It's like, wow, I'm, I'm not doing, uh, you know, so it's, uh, but, uh, you know, I try and squeeze in a new joke every set. Uh, you know, last night it was, it was probably my best set ever in the original room. Nice. It just, uh, and it really shouldn't have been because, uh, you know, the show was running very behind. I think Arsenio Hall uh, came in and did uh, 20 minutes, uh, and he wasn't on the lineup. Mm -hmm. and, but it was amazing to watch. Yeah, yeah, and then, yeah. uh, Leslie Jones did, like, close to 30 minutes. So that was uh, basically an extra hour added on to the show. Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course, everyone after that's like, well, if they did, you know, 20 and 30 minutes, I want to do a couple extra minutes. Mm -hmm. So uh, my... Uh, twelve forty-five spot ended up going on close to one thirty, and but the crowd was hot. Like it was the hottest crowd I've ever seen in that room for uh, that time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was uh, it was like it was uh, a sexual high last night. Like, That's awesome. It, it really was. Like, and I rarely kill. You know, I do well. You know, whatever. But uh, last night I killed. <laughs> like, That's good. Uh, so, but you know, it was hard to do new material. Like, you know, this crowd's hot. I gotta like. You know, I did one new AIDS joke and <laughs> pretty well. Yeah, I find that's, that's a huge advantage of being under the radar is you're always in the spotlight and people are going to notice all your mistakes, whereas I can kind of grow and fuck up when no one's noticing and, you know, go to these random mics where people aren't really watching. And I think that's that's helped me out a lot is like I, I'm not really in the spotlight ever. So I, I feel very free to like take chances and do a lot of risky stuff because you know i'm not i don't have the pressure of you where people are watching you know i can get i can get good under the radar yeah well i mean but you'll be like you know you're uh definitely in the spotlight with roast battle you know mm -hmm. which is like uh i mean it's different than stand up for sure but uh you know it's good to be under the radar when you're just because you probably haven't found your true voice yet mm -hmm. uh or maybe you have you know uh Adam Sandler told me once, uh, took him like seven to eight years. Mm -hmm. Not to say that it's going to take you seven to eight years. I mean, it probably took me longer, uh, yeah. you know, to find the, the comic I am now. Like, I'm very comfortable with kind of being a slightly more energetic Stephen Wright. Uh, I can see that. You know, I'm like Stephen Wright talked about 80s hair metal. <laughs> so uh, it took me a long time to figure out that you know talk about what you like and the and the crowd will get behind you if it's funny yeah that energy you bring behind things when you have passion for it, the the crowd really vibes off of that yeah they really do like i used to be afraid to talk about like say rat my favorite group because i'm like i ah, know you know people your age and younger they're not going to know who rat is but they dig your enthusiasm mm -hmm. for still talking about you know a band that you know maybe uh 
it's a little past their prime or whatever. They get off on, you know, that. So, it, but it took me a long time to get the balls to go, okay, I'm going to talk about this. And, the, you know, half the people in the room weren't even born when this music was being played. Uh, they're still going to laugh. So, uh, yeah, I was blissful, blissfully ignorant. I I was talking about stuff I liked from the beginning. Like I'm, I grew up watching John Stewart just destroy George Bush. And so that was like, that was one of my big influences. And so I came out from the gate talking about politics and, you know, a lot of stuff people on the surface really didn't care about. And, uh, it, it was, it was really good for me. It kind of gave me like a niche, like people kind of knew me as like the, the political guy and the guy who has kind of uh, topical observations and stuff like that. And it was, it was good. It was good for me. And I found it really interesting that I, you know, in 2016, before the election, when you were doing political humor, it was kind of nerdy and not cool. And now that Trump's been elected, everyone does it. It's like, it, it is the hot thing to do right now. So it was, it's kind of good to get a head start on that. Well, I mean, uh, yeah, it, it's, uh, like even with the, my very few Trump jokes I have, I weave eighties metal into it. <laughs> you know, just talk about, <laughs> but you know, I'm so ingrained in the eighties metal world that, you know, I just, started looking at trump and going how could i get some reference in and i'm like oh well his wife uh she does kind of look like the drummer from white snake so i'll just get <laughs> get that in there and people love it you're kind of blending into eras of you know now and then so uh is there like an 80s rock person who kind of is like trump is there like a Gene Simmons, <laughs> but he's not really eighties rock. You know, he, he even goes a little further yeah, back. He, in the, he blends for sure. But. You know, seventies. I mean, Kiss. You know, really was at their peak in the seventies, which I still admire them for still being around. Like it's not. You know, if you've seen Kiss lately, it's you know it's a little rough, but they're in their sixties. Mm -hmm. I, I I appreciate anyone who makes money and whatever business they're in. That's what I was going to say. Why Gene Simmons is a lot like Trump is they're just really good at branding. Like Gene, you know, Gene Simmons, uh, you know, I don't know how much he works on the, the music part of kiss, but as, Not a, much. as a Jew, I can tell you, he really works hard at the marketing part. Like he sells so much like kiss crap, like that, like that's like really his talent is he just found a way to really make every part of that band lucrative even like aside from the music like he like most people are like oh i'll make the music lucrative and he figured out a way to make every other piece of the band lucrative it was really interesting yeah i mean uh i mean like they were i mean it's it's pretty uh, amazing that their peak was literally probably 77 78 and you know here we are 2017 they're still touring and you know they're not necessarily selling out arenas every night but they're still relevant oh, you yeah. know, and still make money. Oh yeah. Good uh, money. So, you know, if you're in any business for, you know, almost 40 years now, you know, and you've survived the peaks and the valleys of grunge and boy bands and disco and new wave and you know, the, the eighties metal invasion, like there's something to be said for that. Yeah. Know? My favorite band is the who, and they've survived two of their best members like dying, you know? They lost the what some people consider the best bassist of all time and what some people consider the best drummer of all time and they're still cranking, you know. It's like and they're they're they were on the Super Bowl old as hell. It was like, you know, it, these these old bands have longevity. It's really impressive.
I mean, I always felt bad for uh, Kenny Jones, who was the drummer who had to replace uh, Keith Moon. In yeah. The it's like, that's crazy. Like That's rep- like replacing Lombardi. Yeah. And he's a great drummer. Like yeah. Kenny Jones, oh, yeah. like, you know, is like, there are not many better. Uh, certainly at that time, it's like he, he was probably one of the few guys who could replace uh, to some degree Keith Moon. It's like, people are like, who's that guy? Yeah, I think uh, when they were on tour, uh, Ringo Starr's kid was the drummer, and he was great. But it's like no one's Keith Moon. The guy's the guy was like crazy funny. Um, the, there's a song called Boris the Spider uh, by the Who, and he um, Pete Townsend was like, "Okay, we all got to make songs. I'm sick of you guys not writing. I'm doing all the writing." And so he just kept badgering um, Keith Moon and. Keith was just, you know, being a procrastinator. And at one point Pete was like, you're telling me the song right now. And so Keith Moon made up Boris the Spider on the spot. He was just like, uh, Boris the Spider. And he just like made up the whole song in conversation. And it's like, that guy's funny as hell and pretty smart to like make up a song on the spot for for it to not sound like bullshit. Like it was, it was, that's one of my favorite stories. Well, I mean, it's always tough uh, replacing someone like that, even if they're, in some cases, better. Like, you know, when Ace Frehley left Kiss, he was replaced by Vinnie Vincent, who technically is, you know, 50 times the guitar player that mm-hmm. Ace Frehley is, but people still want Ace. Yeah, know? Kiss is a lot more about personality. It's kind of it, like Roast Battle. There's a lot of likability that ties into it and a lot of performance art, and it's not just about you know, what you're saying, but how you're saying it. Yeah, which is, uh, you know, it brings, uh, you know, my battle, uh, not to get myself into it, but like, well, it's your podcast. But I mean, like, you know, people already heard, you know, all my stories and, and stuff. But like, on that note, it's like uh, my battle with Jimmy Carr. Uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, there's two sides of that battle where people think he killed me. And then I get, uh, you know, last night, you know, someone said, hey, you're the guy who squashed Jimmy Carr. And so like, uh jimmy had the better jokes uh but i had the better performance like so it's like what do you uh you know judging in roast battle is like it's very much like mma judging where it's like uh if you have a uh, a striker not to make this into an mma podcast but like if you have a striker going up against a wrestler you know it you better hope whichever one you are the judges like your you know uh style of fighting or else the other guy or girl is going to get the vote. Yeah. Well, Earl's like the patriarch of roast battle. Like he's the only male to ever not lose to another male. And part of the reason why you do that, you figure out a way to kind of make yourself the alpha male personality on stage. Like you found a way to like with Jimmy Carr, you found like the perfect way to emasculate him, which was to attack his clipboard. And that undercoat undercuts every single joke from then on there, because in the back of the minds of the judges and the audience, they're thinking, man, he's reading that off of a clipboard. Earl's doing this off the dome. And so, you know, that was such a genius. When you threw the clipboard and you made reference to that, it didn't really matter what he said unless he threw the clipboard. And he was never going to do that. And that was smart. And that was smart because you knew he wouldn't do that. And so... The only way he could have won that battle is if he threw the clipboard and showed that I don't need this. And he proved what you said, that he did need that shit. 
Well, because I knew that, you know, obviously his jokes are very long mm-hmm. and they're all great. I mean, every single joke he had was, he's so uh, good. oh, he's the best. And we're like friends. Like, we're, yeah. it's not like we hate each other. Uh, he couldn't have been any nicer to me uh, after the battle. Like people, I think, you know, that's the thing about roast battle in 99% of the cases, you're friends with the person. So you're cool with them after, oh, uh, yeah. you know, uh, not in every case, but um <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's very much, uh, you know, the judging is, is kind of can be strange at times on the show. And, uh, but, you know, I knew that, uh, you know, I thought Kimmel and, and Seth Rogen, who I'd never met before, like a lot of people think there was like an inside yeah. screw job, uh, you know, cause Montreal was where the famous Bret Hart screw job do you follow wrestling at all i don't actually i'm I'm incredibly jewish in that way but no well i mean i've grown i've grown to appreciate it through roast battle just because i'm starting to understand performance art and putting on a show and you know taking hold of the mic and you know i i didn't really like wrestling in the beginning but the more i do roast battle the more i get it the more I understand, oh, this is what the appeal is of it. And this is the why people appreciate the performers who are doing it on stage. I just thought they were just like jumping off of ropes and shit. But there's so much more to it. Well, I mean, it, you know, uh, there was an incident in Montreal where uh, Bret Hart, the wrestler, was leaving to go to another company. Um, and the WWE had told him, hey, you're going to win your last match. You just have to, uh, you know, give us the belt you know when you leave and uh he's like okay because he's from canada he's a legend in canada and so during his match in montreal the uh, other guy sean michaels uh penned him and the uh they rang the bell so he he lost the match mm-hmm. and he was promised he would win so uh you know i think people in montreal thought that there was some conspiracy that me jimmy kimmel and seth rogan like conspired to beat jimmy carr or, comedy central like you know it was rigged to make me win and it's like i didn't get that from watching the broadcast i more saw that seth and jimmy really connected with the the clipboard moment that was really what got him like i didn't they didn't seem like too buddy buddy with you but well i had never met seth rogan until after that battle like literally i've I've never been in a room with him and uh, jimmy kimmel i had met he was a somewhat of a judge you know uh on my road to roast battle uh la uh battle against jesse joyce but that's the only time i've met him so it's there was no uh conspiracy uh you know i don't think comedy central was fixing it so i could win you know i've got 9500 twitter followers (laughs) jimmy carr has literally 8 million so uh if they were going to fix it for someone to win it was going to be him yeah that's very true well because he was uh roasting rob lowe like a month later so i am sure it would have been a great you know minute clip to say hey here's roast battle winner jimmy carr uh so you know I was handed nothing in that match, I can assure you. I think that gives Roast Battle a lot of gravitas because the whole I think the whole point of the show is giving new blood opportunity to show in a meritocracy that oh I'm you know, I can out joke, outperform and you know, it's art is subjective, but um even so most of the battles that we watch in Roast Battle, it may be 
a, it may be subjective, but generally there's an objective winner pretty much every time. And that's, that's because we still kind of observe what's going on and we kind of, we can kind of understand fundamentally who was funnier and had the better performance and who took control of that moment. And I think most people who watched that Jimmy Carr, Earl Skakel battle said, Earl really took control of that moment. And, you know, it was like, um, my, you know, uh, my last battle was against Katrina Davis. Um, there was a big, uh, cloud in the air because uh, Earl was not there, but we might get to that later. But Katrina, it, right in the beginning, when they ask, um, you know, would you let the wave smash? She had maybe the best answer I've ever heard given in that room. She looks at the wave and it goes from Haiti, Jeremiah, Jamar to Willie. And she points that. And when Moses asks, would you let the wave smash? She goes, never, uh, never, maybe always forever. You know, to like and and names each, <laughs> names each one of them, and Moses loved it. The crowd ate it up, and I knew from that moment that she had the crowd, and I would have to do. I would, it would be an uphill battle to kind of regain the crowd from that, and that's that's kind of what you did with the clipboard thing. You controlled the crowd from the jump. You set the tone, and from that point on, the other battler is doing has to do a lot to overturn that. I always compare roast battle to like roman gladiator stuff like when you come out as soon as you come out one of you is the thumbs down to the crowd and one of you is the thumbs up to the crowd and if you're the thumbs down person you have to figure out how to turn that thumb back up and it's it's a really it's a really tough thing to do you they want blood especially when you're the thumbs down person that crowd wants blood so you really have to do something special to switch it up yeah, I mean, you definitely, uh, I think a lot of uh, people who battle don't take advantage of uh, uh, not even the the first question Moses will ask you to get the room going, but like, uh, you know, make a wacky entrance, make a statement right away, because uh, it's like a free shot, you know, yeah. it's like, you know, against uh, Jesse Joyce and the Road to Roast battle match, I came out you know, fur coat, silver pants, <laughs> uh, like a fur trimmed hat looking like a pimp uh you know did a little thing with the wave and you know jesse joyce is just standing there you yeah know? so it just looks like oh like you're automatically drawn to me um but you know also i think uh the danger with doing something like that with a wacky entrance or whatever is um you have to make sure the jokes are there too like too mm -hmm. many people especially lately you know they'll have this wacky entrance or sketch or whatever and uh, the jokes aren't there. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's like, so I, I think the biggest issue is like, if you put more effort into the entrance than your jokes, like it really shows. I got really lucky. So after Katrina called Haiti never in that little thing, he, he, he uh, jokingly got up and like walked away. And when he did that, he came to me and he's like, I'm picking you up. And I, I was like, wait, what? And all of a sudden I'm it, it like lifted by Haiti and he carries me to the stage. You know, I'm blowing kisses to the crowd. And that actually, you know, that, that was like the best, that was very serendipitous. Like that was the best thing that could have happened to me. Cause, cause I at least matched her energy for that moment. Uh, we hit Haiti carrying me in. It was, it was really fun. Then I bombed my intro and my next two jokes, but why do you say you bombed? What do you think went wrong? I, well, 
by bombing, I don't mean like they didn't get laughs. It's just I've had a couple friends to me tell me like uh, last night at a mic, I had multiple people tell me that my Katrina battle was by far my worst battle. And uh, and most people would say, oh, that's that's bad. You know, they, they would take that negatively. But I really took that as a compliment. Like they're saying, like, I set a standard that they expected from me and I didn't reach it for that Katrina battle. So that was good to hear, actually, that people expected a certain amount from me. But my first two jokes, it wasn't that they didn't hit super. It wasn't that they didn't hit. It's they didn't hit hard enough. Um, it was weirdly enough, the ba- the battle where I got the wave to laugh at all my jokes. Jamar especially loved all my jokes. I got dap from him the first one. Then he was probably the loudest laugher, you know, for my next two jokes. But yeah, it's just I've never battled a woman before. And I think there's just different dynamics. I've only lost to women. Yeah, it's It's tough. It's the especially when you're going up against a very talented, likable person like Katrina or Whitney Rice or Sarah Tiana for you, you know, it, when you're going up against a chick who's got the goods, the crowd really is behind her and deservedly so. It's not that it's not deservedly so, but it is such an uphill battle to take on that level of likability. And that's why I challenged Katrina Davis and Joe Urell because I wanted to take on the challenge of if you're not the most likable person in the room, can you win the crowd over? Because my fir- one of my first battles was against Kevin McNamara. He's a great guy, great battle. Oh, he's a really nice guy. But if you look at the context of our battle, I'm like a short, nerdy guy. He's this tall, really good-looking guy. The whole crowd wanted me to win. Right. Oh, yeah. You and, gotta. And so this, when you're the sympathetic character in Roast Battle versus the unsympathetic character, it's a totally different battle. And I wanted the challenge of being the unsympathetic one and trying to win the crowd over because I thought that'd be a, that would make me grow more. Well, I mean, you definitely uh, bring up some great points. Like, you know, it, that's what I love about Roast Battle to this day. Uh, even though I think I'm in uh, retirement, uh, what in my 12 battles, I loved going up against likable people like because uh, there's a different strategy and then you go up against someone you don't like and you can go all in on those. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's like with Olivia, she's probably the most likable roaster because mm-hmm. she's just that smile just melts you, whether you're a guy or a girl. Like, well, also the combination of youth, like the fact that she started so young was very impressive. And yeah. She was so good from the jump. Like that's very likable. She has talent. Oh, she's great. And, uh, but like you can't, like if you look at... Uh, uh, the people who she beats, like they all try and like be dicks to her. And like, it's just, it's the worst strategy on earth. Like she's just gonna, she's, she can talk about her, you know, uh, like sexual assault situation and she does it with a smile on her face. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so when you attack her, uh, like a lot of people for whatever reason do, uh, they just she buries them so it's like because she knows where her uh i mean it, the good roasters know where your blind spots are mm-hmm. so she almost suckers them into saying okay say something about you know this and i'm gonna have a hundred rebuttals on that and uh you know i mean that's what i try and used to do like you know yeah i'm the oldest roaster but hit me with an age joke because 
like I said many times before, unless it's Matt Broussard or Kevin Mack, <laughs> I'm probably going to be the better looking guy on stage. Yeah. So go ahead. Uh, so it's like if you're fat and you don't have fat rebuttals, you're just, you know, you're fooling yourself. Yeah, that's one of my favorite parts about roast battle is the rebuttals and the owning of your flaws. Like it's really empowering, actually, when you come up with a rebuttal for one of your own flaws and you know going into a battle, I hope they attack this flaw because I have the perfect response to that. It uh, Roast Battle, uh, more than any other thing involving comedy, really got me to embrace my flaws and appreciate them because once you start to figure out, like you start to write jokes about, you know, what am I, what's going to be my response to... Uh, you know, I get a lot of short jokes. I'm an autism tutor. So I get a lot of like, you look autistic. And then, uh, I, I get a Holocaust joke every single battle. It's always with the third joke too. But you know, I always get those. So you start writing rebuttals for all these things. Like you write Holocaust rebuttals, you write short rebuttals, you write, you know, autism rebuttals. All of a sudden these things that you felt like were, um, flaws in what you have, they start to become like things you really embrace and enjoy about yourself. I, through roast battle, th uh, through the rebuttals, like this is like the, the most happy I've been with who I am as myself. Cause I really enjoy the whole package of what I am. Yeah. I mean, uh, you have to, you know, it, you know, it's roast. It's your roasting flaws. It's not your flaws in real life. Like, uh, you know, that, at least that's how I look at it. You know, you might take someone who's, you know, maybe not the skinniest person in the world. They're going to be called fat in roast battle, but they're not fat. You know, just okay. They they don't have the perfect body, but, but yeah, it's a caricature. Yeah, and if you're, uh, you know, you know, older, it's like you're not old, but in roast battle speak, you're going to be old. Uh, so I think, uh, the, the better roasters, you know, own their uh, roasting flaws and, you know, Alex Hooper knows you're going to hit him with a dry skin joke mm -hmm. and Pat Barker, uh, uh, you know, a miscarriage joke, mm -hmm. you know, Doug Fager, you know, dead uh, brother, uh, dead brother joke. Although I do like how, and like Pat and, uh, Doug's, uh, battle a couple weeks ago, they had like. They, I think they both had agreed, hey, I'm not going to do a miscarriage joke. I'm not going to do a dead brother joke. But they went into such deep waters and like triple overtime they they had to. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think it's uh, like if I ever battle Pat or Doug, if, if for whatever reason daddy came out of retirement, uh, I wouldn't <laughs> do a miscarriage joke or... Uh, that's your that's your style though. I've heard you multiple times. Like if there's someone who has an obvious angle, you don't want to hit the obvious angle. You want to kind of you you kind of want to whiplash them and hit them from the sides and or and hit them from unexpected areas as opposed to like what is expected. Well, I think it it's a you know so much of roast battle is a mind fuck game, and uh, it's it's very mental. Uh, it's mental warfare, which I'm I've always been about. Yeah, you're the you're the best at that. You're like the Bill Belichick of roast battle. Like yeah, you, you understand strategically how to 
like Bill Belichick, what they say about him is whatever your strength is, he's going to take that away from you and then make you play without your strength. And you very much understand, oh, this is, I can break a person down, take away what, what is considered their strength and then make them, make them roast without that because I've already emasculated it. Yeah. I mean, I usually try and uh, create such a circus in the room that I uh, make the other person feel insignificant. Like Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not even roasting them at, you know, I mean, you have to, you know, at some point in the night, but like, you know, I roast the crowd, I roast the judges, I I hit the wave, I'll, you know, hit Moses every now and then, you know, hit Coach T, but that's dangerous because, you know, Coach T's in charge of the sound, yeah. so he can embarrass you. If and he, he's one of the few people who might be quicker than all of us. Oh, absolutely. He's <laughs> you a- know, he's so, he's got, he's got it all in the brain, so like, Coach T is like actually the person I would be most afraid to go after because he is brilliant with a capital B like I would be I I wouldn't want to mess with that mind yeah I mean he's like I remember one time I did a boys in the hood joke I I think to the wave and he and I I still to this day don't know how he had the sound bite of the guy when he got shot in Cuba Gooding uh in the alley in Cuba Gooding. he's like Ricky and and coach T had that cued up like it's like he literally has probably a hundred thousand sound files on his computer how he pulled that up in two literally two seconds uh it's it's he'd be a great roaster uh, oh yeah i would love to see coach t actually come out from behind the booth and and do a little bit of roasting because he's he's sharp i i just i i think he'd be good at it i mean my fantasy is to have one maybe it's the last show ever for roast battle and of course it's that's not gonna be anytime soon but like if everyone switched jobs like maybe maybe like moses was the hater i was the host the wave were the judges the judges like you get a judging panel like michael costa and theo vaughn and you know hinchcliffe they're the wave and you know i don't i don't know who you'd switch out with coach t but like you know that's a great idea to be a free for all they really should do that i would love to see moses in another role because he's so he's so good at being a host i would love to see him like do something else like maybe he's the dj and coach t's the host <laughs> or you know coach you would be such a good host i would be that would be a great call i would love to see that i mean there's still a lot of uh, a lot of mileage left in roast battle so you well know. S- speaking of that like you were not there during my battle like there there was a cloud over that whole room what was that like do you want to talk about like why you weren't there um you know i just think uh possibly my time has uh come on roast battle and uh you know uh you know the show's been amazing to me you know brian moses uh he's you know been beyond amazing and uh i just think that uh you know there's uh just uh things that are out of my control on the show and uh you know i believe in the rankings uh meaning something and uh you know uh, i'm not sure if they do uh, you know, but I, uh, I'm a very black and white kind of guy. It's like, if I'm ranked number two or three or whatever it is, I am, I should get, you know, to battle the people ahead of me, not someone who's ranked outside the top 10. Yeah. Uh, but that's how I, you know, you know, some people are, you know, you, you look at the UFC, there's controversy in the UFC with, 
some of their t- recent title fights, uh, like uh, Michael Bisping. And once again, I don't want to turn this into MMA hour, but like Michael Bisping is fighting for the championship. He's the champion. Uh, GSP, George St. Pierre. Mm-hmm. Uh, George St. Pierre hasn't fought in three years. Uh, I don't even think he's ranked right now. Uh, and a lot of UFC fighters, like the guy who's ranked number two, Luke Rockhold, is like, what? this guy's not yeah. even ranked. He's getting yeah. a title shot. Like, uh, So I'm very much, uh, you know, I, I feel I have uh, the greatest fight card of all time. I don't think anyone's fight card comes close to mine. Uh, you know, a lot of people padded their records by beating their unfunny friends from <laughs> Long Beach and Orange County. Uh, and that's the truth. Like, uh, I'm not talking shit, but like, yeah, yeah. You know, my last 10 opponents were, uh, and I, I think I went over this with Johnny Stewart, but like, it, I'll say it again is uh, Jesse Joyce, Comedy Central's number one roast writer. Mm-hmm. So it was very intimidating for me to try and get on a Comedy Central show by beating a Comedy Central employee. Um, Benji included. Uh, Benji. Uh, so that's uh, two Comedy Central yeah. elite writers. Um, and then uh, starting in Montreal, I uh, battled Tom Ballard, who uh, a lot of people think uh, beat Jimmy Carr in the untelevised season. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jimmy Carr, uh, Sarah Tiana. Uh, K. Trevor Wilson, who is a legend in Canada and very hard to beat in any country. And was so good on the show. Really was one of the breakout stars of that first Oh, season. he's amazing. Like he, And he's like owns, like he knows you're going to come at him with not fat jokes, but like, you know, big guy jokes. And he's very prepared for them. Uh, and then I, you know, was lucky enough to roast Mike Lawrence on Facebook Live. It was an unofficial match. There were no judges. But uh, most L.A. battlers would shit their pants. Uh, and then, you know, my L.A. battles, you know, all top five opponents. So, uh, you know, I was just like, you know, for me to battle has to mean something. Like, yeah. I'm not going to battle, uh, you know, do a battle and go, well, if I win, I get nothing out of it. But if the other person wins... Yeah, they get all the glory. Uh, not it's not necessarily glory, but like they get the benefit. Yeah, uh, you know. And I just, but I take it ultra seriously. Like some people, like will battle. Uh, you know, like Jay Light battle like four or five times in a month. A mm-hmm. uh, couple months ago, like I won't do that. Like I do the pay per views. Yeah, uh, and uh, so uh, you know. I guess I'm not really answering your question, but I love the show. I love Comedy Central, Jeff Ross, Brian Moses, but, uh, you know, it, it's like, I guess I'll use a football. Uh, you, you brought up Bill Belichick, so this is uh, this is kind of why uh, I've taken a sabbatical or whatever you want to call it. It's like, I'm a Pittsburgh Steeler fan. Mm-hmm. The Steelers lost to the New England Patriots week seven. They also lost to the New England uh, Patriots in the finals, the conference finals. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think people would like it if the NFL stepped in and said, well, the Steelers get to go to the Super Bowl. Say, <laughs> like, well, wait a minute. They've beaten this person or they've beaten this team. You know, uh, literally makes zero sense. So, uh, you know. But I leave, I think, uh, without burning a bridge. So, uh, well, I mean, there's a couple obvious questions, but I think the first one is like, are you going to pull a Michael Jordan and ever come out of retirement? Is there a possibility? 
I mean, I never say never, you know, I, I've gotten back with girlfriends. I, <laughs> but I mean, you know, that's like a, I think a perfect example. Yeah, of, it is. Uh, you know, I, I, I leave open every opportunity. Uh, you know, I, I think when you say never, it, it's you, you're hurting yourself. Uh, you know, the show has been very, very good to me. I mean, you know, to go 14 years or whatever it was with little to no success and then to end up on comedy central four nights in five days it's like wow uh, you know i'd still get people coming up last night you know a guy comes up to me hey you were my favorite part you know when you coming back and all that stuff so i i definitely don't want to burn a bridge with anyone or the show or the network uh but you know at some point you got to be like you know hey i'm not pleased with uh certain things and uh you know when you see people uh you know who you've beaten uh and and beaten people that they've lost to uh mm -hmm. it's like you know it's just, just you know i gotta like you know well the one thing is like what you said the show's been good to you but you've been really good to the show too i think so you, you were there like f first week you were there all the time you're given uh, a really tough role where it's like you describe the hater role to me as you're supposed to put, you know, like the pepper on the steak. But what he doesn't mention is if someone's serving up the worst steak possible, he's got to really spice it up. If it's a good battle, if it's a filet mignon battle, he only has to put on a little salt and pepper. But if it's there's a lot of battles that are not filet mignons. There are a lot of battles out there that Earl has to put a lot of spice on. He has to flavor it up for all of us. And we eat well at Roast Battle. We, you know, when Earl's there, the jokes per minute are really strong. And when you weren't there last week, there, even when Mike Lawrence and Steve Byrne are having great performances, it's just not the same when you're not there to add that element and that other piece to it. You know, it the show just wasn't the same. It didn't have the same vibe. It didn't have the same reckless abandon and kind of just joy of going for it that it did that week. Like, the vibe is just different when you're not there. Well, I mean, the show is the, the great thing about roast battle is it's a show that will survive w oh, without yeah. anyone, but Moses, like, cause Oh, uh, for sure. Like, uh, so I, I, uh, you know, I mean, when I used to do it with other, uh, you know, I mean, me and Whitney rice were definitely, I think the best, uh, you know, when I did bring in other people, cause, uh, she's a great actress mm -hmm. and, uh, she was super funny. And, uh, you know, when I would do it with other people, they, you know, they would try to make it about them. And it's like, you know, the haters table, like it's, it's a side dish. It's never, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, the show's called roast battle. It's about the battles. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, I, I mean, I, I, uh, I'm not sure what they'll do with that portion of the show. I mean, I, I think, you know, it'd be my wish that they just, uh, retire it. Yeah, there's uh, only I, one person who can do it once in a while, and that's Cena Amundsen, and I don't think he could do it week to week. Like, you were doing it week to week for three years. years. Yeah, years. I mean, that is that is a grind. And, how, you know, a lot of people give you shit for, like... Oh, behind my back. The yeah. same people who are trying to get at the table. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Always, you know, Palmers, you know, they'll be good to you, uh, you know, when you're there. Oh, yeah. Great job, Earl. And then tell someone else the next week. You know, he just says the same thing every week. Yeah, yeah. I hear that all the time. And it's like, 
you know how hard it is, you know, and a lot of those premises are really genius because they work in multiple settings and battles. And that's the reason why you use them over and over again. But it's well, not. And they still apply every time. Like, for instance, there's a joke you do where it's like, um, this looks like a transaction. Right up. And I th- that one has a new it lands differently every time because of who's up there. And that's why that's a really good premise because you can interchange it with different battles and it'll get good reactions, but for different reasons. And so we always saying the same thing. Well, not really. Cause look at the context of it. Well, I mean, there's people who, you know, have battled, you know, 12 times, 13 times, uh, who've used similar jokes and premises. Yeah. And that's, 12 times try doing this show uh, let's see what i mean i don't think we've ever taken a week off so that's uh, like 50 something so we've weeks. done uh, 52 shows a year uh so that's 156 shows uh, you put in some specialty shows like montreal where we're doing like you know four and four shows in, in literally six days so it's probably close to in three years 200 shows mm-hmm. So, yeah, do I have a few lines I repeat or, you know, premises I, I might tweak a little? Yeah, of course. But, like, you know, it's easy for someone who's done it, like, you know, once every couple of weeks to go, oh, yeah, you, dude, you're not fresh. Well, you know, welcome to Hollywood. Well, also, it's like if you see Leonard Skinner, you're going to want to hear Freebird. Yeah. Like, you know, it. There, there's hit there. They are hits for a reason. There are certain jokes that you do that just are really good and they apply in multiple situations. And for people to say, oh, he repeats himself. It's like, you're not looking at the context of how this joke hits differently every single time based on who's up there. And that's why it's a great joke, you know, but some people are like, I, I, I don't like the Palmers. I, oh, it's the worst. I mean, that's another thing that kind of is making me, uh, take a break it's just the, the phoniness and the, and the uh you know i'm sure already moses has 20 emails hey can i hate <laughs> can i hate uh you know and i i can guess who the first palm was but it's all good they'll never do as good of a job as i did no one uh, can that well no that's not true i would you know they'll do it differently like you know i do it from a Archie Bunker-esque type of way. Uh, you know, there was uh, some people who like to attack the judges directly. And that's part of the reason why they stopped having, you know, they wanted it just to be me again was because, you know, if I have any uh, anything over anyone in the room, it's just I know everyone in the, in the room. Like, I know Michael Costa for 10 years or Theo or, you know, uh, you know whoever, Sarah Tiana. So I can play with them. I can shit on a movie that they did that didn't do well or a TV show. And it's like, Oh, I know where all it, but you know, when someone they don't know is like ripping their career, it's like, who are you? Like, what have you done other than bomb at the anchor bar on a Monday <laughs> night? Uh, thanks. So I think, uh, you know, some people tried, you know, the show's not about anyone in particular, you yeah. know, Moses could, uh, you know, if anyone could make the show about him, it's him. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't, he distributes the ball better than anyone uh, you know uh i mean at the end of the day it's really about the battles so I, I i don't like all the uh you know i mean this greatest the wave is it's about the battles it's, mm-hmm. it's, you know i never try and interrupt a battle like or get a laugh at a battler's expense you know unless it's like a real bomb line that you know you've got to like pick up the pace 
Well, also, a lot of the times when you're when you're saying those lines, you're just kind of adding to the moment. Like my first battle, um, Brandon Bricks does a does an improvised roast rap in the middle of it, and the crowd is going crazy. And you said, "Good luck following that." Yeah. And it wasn't in any malice. It was what the f- whole crowd was thinking. Good luck following that. And then when I did follow that, you didn't shit on me. You get you stood up and applauded me. So you're you're very you know you'll give shit when it's when it's needs to be give, and then you'll give you'll give a lot of credit when it's needed to be given too. But I get zinged too. Like uh, oh, a couple yeah. weeks ago, David uh, Lucas, David Lucas, who I love. Like that's a kind he of was a- great. But like that's the kind of guy like people probably think we don't like each other. You know, it's like the Jimmy Carr thing where people think I don't like him or Jimmy doesn't like me. I love David Lucas because he gets it. He takes the shots and he gives them. And he got me on a line I didn't have a rebuttal on. And it's like I loved it. Like yeah, you guys, you, know. you guys were you guys had a great interaction and well, yeah. he's great, man. He I mean, was so good. I love I, I I love seeing new people just go up there and kill. It. And that's why you know Brian Moses. You should be really proud of this show because there isn't really anyone who's given this many open micers an opportunity. This roast battle show is genius. He figured out a way to boil down competition in comedy and make it healthy and make and for the most part it's healthy. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, yeah, they're always going to be a little a couple things, but the the overall effect is overwhelmingly positive on a lot of people. What's raised all of our uh, profiles from you? Like everyone knows who you are now. You show up at the comedy store. It's like, oh, that's Eric. Yeah. You, you know, uh, for me, it's like uh, I wouldn't say it got me past, but like I, I think it was an opportunity for me to go up in front of Adam and others who are in charge there every week. And even though it's not stand up, it's it's like, oh, this guy's pretty funny. He's, you know, let's see what a stand up is like. Um, so and I mean it's made Moses a star or whatever you want to call it and uh, you know it's the way of Jeremiah and you know and and uh, Haiti and Jamar and Willie it's made them uh, their profiles you know it's gotten me on other TV shows like uh, you know the Showtime show uh, you know and a I can't say but a certain cartoon on a certain network <laughs> uh, I, I can't say it yet but I mean it's it, I literally got those two things from roast battle That's uh, cool. so it's like and i know you know other people have gotten gigs from it writing gigs and uh it's really the show that you know is, is given a lot to a lot of people so you know people have gotten managers and agents and uh, you know it's it's an amazing uh i don't think i've ever been involved with a show that's given so much to so many comics. Yeah, I was talking to Tyra Vera, and I was saying, like, I don't think anyone in the L.A. scene can say they've helped more people than Brian Moses. No, I mean, you look at, I mean, literally, like, uh, over 100 comics, I mean, have, have gotten something from this show, uh, whether it be road work or, um, you know, you look at Nicole Buchanan. She's on the road uh, this weekend with Tyra Vera in Vegas. and. Mm-hmm. He, I'm guessing, saw her at roast battle and said, "Wow, this girl's really funny." Let, let, yeah, I, you know, I don't know how it went down, but I'm sure it was like, "Well, let me see if she wants to go to Vegas with me and put some money in her pocket." Uh, so uh, it's, and you know, it's gotten, you know, like me, it's, 
you know, like Dave Attell came up to me like a couple of weeks ago. I said, dude, you're one of my favorites. And it's like, wow. Like that's like the guy. He, yeah. He's my idol. He's the first comedian I ever saw do stand up live. I got my mom took me to see him when I was in eighth grade in Utah. And it was like life changing experience to see Dave Attell. It was, it was really great. And it was, it was really cool to see, David Tell do like the raunchiest, most disgusting humor and to even get my mom to laugh at it. And I, that's where I was like, oh, comedy transcends everything. You can get everyone to laugh at it. You know, she's not my mom. She's just a person laughing in the audience. You know, I didn't, you know, that was a eye opening moment for me. Well, I just know? love him because he's a fucking nice guy and like he gets it. And he like, you know, probably one of my favorite moments is a non-comedy moment with him where after a roast battle we all went to the rainbow to eat and uh your rainbow's like the best it's like the last bastion for 80s metal and <laughs> like you could be sitting next to axel rose to your right and then to your left is an axel rose impersonator <laughs> it's like there's no other restaurant in the world where you know you could see the actual band and then the tribute band uh and uh i won't uh, there was a certain comic who was uh just r really just pounding food and <laughs> david tells just looking at him with his hand on his face going my god <laughs> and it was just his facial expression was funny so uh yeah i mean just, but just to like that's uh my phone i'm getting paged uh <laughs> i have a machine gun sound when i get paged uh but yeah i mean just a put us all in a stratosphere of Attell, Chappelle, mm -hmm. John Mayer, uh, you know, just all these. Waka Flocka Flame was at my Joe Urell battle. He's a rapper, and uh, he was really cool to Joe. He got Joe's number afterward. He's like, you know, so it's like there's so there's so many little experiences. Like, yeah, freaking like, Joe Urell got to got to smoke a blunt in front of Waka Flocka Flame, you know, like. This is like, you know, I feel, you know, I feel great for all these, uh, all these people who rise up through this show because in the end, it's just, it's what Brian Moses says. It's the joke writer showcase. And it's all it is, is just we're competing to write the funniest joke. And that in the end is what comedy should be about. Like comedy ends up being boiled down to so many other things like networking connections and all this other stuff. But what I love about roast battle is it's really just a meritocracy. It's not all about all that other stuff. You know, you don't have to know anyone to get on to roast battle. Your first time doing roast battle is the audition. Yeah. I and, mean, you and can so, literally go up to Moses and he might not even know who you are uh, and go, Hey, I'd like to battle and bingo. I just set up uh, my friend. Uh, I'm looking forward to uh, uh, Nicole Buchanan's next battle. Cause she's battling the incredible Jeff Danish who is an assassin this guy will be a top 10 battler uh and he's getting it. a lot of people like him are getting into the ring like because you need new blood on the show you can't mm -hmm. you know because you know uh, as much as some of the popular performers are, are fun to watch you know the jokes do you know uh have a shelf life in terms of okay we get it earl's old olivia's young mm -hmm. uh the, this person's fat uh this person's bald uh, so, you know, someone like Jeff coming in now is like, that's, uh, people are going to like his style. And, uh, so it's, the show's got a lot of life left, which is great because it's going to help mean, a lot more people. I mean, that's great, but are you going to be there Earl? Are you ever going to, are you ever going to show back up? Cause I mean, you know, I, what I thought was interesting was what, one of the reasons you were saying is like, it was battle related. Like you felt like you couldn't 
um, battle the people you wanted to battle and that was part of your decision making i will only battle for the belt I, like i you know i i just you know it's just the way it is uh like with my fight card i have very few uh easy battles on my card i mean i did beat boone boone was my first battle uh but i will tell you this right now i would say boone could beat i'll say from 35 to 50 uh in the rankings mm -hmm. uh boone could beat at least four or five of them you know oh, yeah. so uh even but you know but everyone has a berry on their battle card like um uh, i will only battle for titles you know if you want you know and, and at this point i don't even want, i almost don't even want to battle for those it's like if i have to go on a podcast or you know go be sneaky behind the scenes um uh, <laughs> and uh you know uh finagle battles ahead of people you know uh i'm good you know like if if i was told that you know the next title shot whenever that is is uh you know frank castillo i got no problem with that because he's ahead of me pat barker no problem he's ahead of me but i i i'm a literal view uh type of guy so mm -hmm. uh you know for a long time I, since montreal basically i've been ranked number two yeah uh and just unfortunately me and hooper could never uh you know get together because you know he got roast battle season two and it's just you know you weren't gonna have a title shot right before that yeah um so uh, you know who knows like uh, i i think i've left in a good way uh i don't think i've burned a bridge you know me and moses talk a few times a week so there's no problem there and uh you know, uh, you know, I'm like my favorite pro wrestler, Sting, where his <laughs> saying is the only thing for sure about Sting is nothing's for sure. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, who knows? I mean, it's, uh, you know, uh, you know, who knows? This happens a lot in, you know, boxing, MMA, wrestling. There's all these controversies about the matchups for the title fights. Like, that like in boxing especially there's there's always been like controversy of oh the 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 people who are in the title fight shouldn't be in the title fight shouldn't there be a rankings a third party committee who oversees what the matchups are and and do you think that's like what roast battle should get to at some point like a more objective you know, we're in March Madness right now, like with tournament. Should there be more of like an uh, objective, like March Madness style tournament where people just get set up? Or do you want it more like boxing or MMA where there's just pay-per-views and they get set up subjectively based off of? I mean, it's tough. Like the way the UFC does it is so arbitrary, you know, and I get it. You want big money fights like you want. um you know, like, you know, in the current heavyweight uh, division and, you know, uh, I think I have a pretty heavy MMA, uh, fan base. So I, hopefully I don't lose too many people on this, but like, uh, the, the heavyweight title fight coming up is, uh, Stipe, Stipe Miocic against Junior Dos Santos. And, uh, you don't really want, I don't think anyone wants Dos Santos to win, uh, because he's already been killed by Cain Velasquez twice so it's like you know if he were to beat Miocic it's like well Velasquez beat him twice so is he really the champion mm -hmm. um so they uh you know I think would rather pair Miocic up you know against someone else but it's just you know Dos Santos is number two so it's like you know what are you gonna do uh you know I I just 
you, you know, in terms of roast battle, I mean, I know the people who do the rankings are all battlers, which, uh, you know, I, I think, to be honest, is good and bad. You know, in one sense, they get what the what it takes to be a, a good battler and a great battler. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's also like, uh, you know, it, I, I have a hard time believing that, you know, if you've beaten like if you had a battle that got really personal and you beat one of those four guys mm -hmm. or whoever's doing it now, uh, you know, I have a hard time believing they're not going to hold a bit of a grudge. Oh, for sure. Like the four guys who do it. And I don't even know who does it anymore. I really don't. Well, uh, I mean, I'm not going to name names, but if like, let's say, for instance, you're a battler who's dating one of the people who are doing the rankings. If you win one, you're you're automatically on the rankings. It's a very arbitrary system. It's, you know, and but in the end, we kind of still know who's at the top. And the interesting thing with roast battle rankings right now is that there's technically like three different number ones. You have Frank Castillo, who who's the champ. You know, all congrats to him. He, he was so good on season two. Oh, he's the best. He's he's such a good guy. I mean, if everyone acted like Frank, I I would have no problem. He's like, a really good. He's a good guy. guy. I want to stress that. Like, just very nice guy. I've had very limited interactions with him, but every time I had interaction with him, he's such a good guy. But you know, and then you have Alex Hooper, who's kind of like the um, the regular season roast battle champion. Like he was the one who. But he's not anymore. Yeah, yeah. he lost to Eli in New York. Yeah, but then like you know this is where the waters get a little murky because like you know hooper lost uh to you know and in, in, in roast battle season two so mm -hmm. uh you know it's that person who beat him the champion uh you know olivia beat him at this special uh oh, yeah yeah the, uh, hammer museum yeah 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 thing so is but i think it was understood that win or lose he was still going to be the champion from that because it was like an exhibition mm -hmm. um so uh, you know it's like if you're you know, if you're one of the people making the rankings and like, uh, you know, I'm fucking your ex-girlfriend, you know, you're going to see my name and go, fuck Earl. I'm going to put yeah. this guy or girl. There's a lot of great girls who should be in, you mm -hmm. know, ranked high. Uh, so, but you know, it, it's like, if you have someone doing the rankings, who's not a battler, they're not going to really know what's a good battler. What isn't it's like me making, I'm not a musician. Should I make a top 50 guitar players of all time? I think the, the person who should be doing the rankings is coach T. I think he'd be the most fair. Uh, He's the one I've heard him talk about it. And he, he by far understands like that the people who've done it the best like he's he would be the best one to do the rankings because he would be the most uh not not that anyone's impartial but he would have a pretty damn good understanding of it he's not a battler and so there'd be less like competing motives i mean i wouldn't mind being uh but i mean i'm not going to be but like i'm i've judged people's battles who i don't like and i i was very fair to them and if they won i gave it to them uh <laughs> But, you know, I, I I can live never battling again and knowing that I'm one of the best battlers that's ever battled. Uh, and that just sounds really cocky to say, and I'm not. No, well, no, you, you really have proven it. But it's so like, I, you know, I don't need to battle. I think a lot of people who battle are like, I got to stay relevant on the show. So people are going to forget about me. I don't think that's the case with me. Like, you know, you have to be secure with yourself and go, who have I battled? Who have I beaten? 
And uh, I've said it before, like when I do my little wrestling promos, but I mean, losing to Sarah Tiana is better than most people's wins. Oh, yeah. So she, I'm, you know, you have to. Well, just look at how the match ended. I mean, that was uh, th that was a great way to end a battle. It was an honor to make out <laughs> Sarah Tiana. On, I would, when, I, when I saw that, I was like, well, I guess Earl won in some way. Yeah, no, she's great. I mean, like, and she, uh, you know, she, you can. What I also love about roast battles you can learn from losses like i learned a lot oh yeah my battle with whitney rice i i you know i was shitting on her looks and you know we were dating at the time so it's like clearly i was attracted to her uh but you know i, I learned uh when you're battling someone that's super attractive and funny you can't really attack them like because yeah. the crowd's gonna be like uh what are you talking about she's hot if you attack anything on her physical looks and uh you know uh and then against tiana i said it before a few times on the podcast i kind of held back because i was you know like well she's so likable and the smile and mm -hmm. she's not you know her roasting flaws are not really flaws uh so i kind of didn't do them and then you know mike lawrence's first joke was an age joke uh, about you know and sarah's not old obviously but yeah. you know for roasting for roast battles she's will be called old and it won him the battle that his first joke whereas yeah, that was a great the the no place in comedy yeah. joke yeah that was great like whereas my abortion joke i thought oh sarah silverman's gonna love this it's kind of clever and witty and uh it did okay it didn't kill and uh you know i cost myself a shot at the belt because i was trying to be too cutesy it's so hard when you're going up against a likable opponent and you're trying to walk that line and figure out what is too far, what's not too far, what's the angle that's even appropriate. With Katrina Davis, I had a couple jokes that, you know, like Jamar and other people are going crazy for, but then the other parts of the crowd are like, well, that's too mean. Look at her. She's really, she's really good looking. She's really nice. Like, how dare you say that about someone like that? And so it could be tough. Like, you know, you could, you can cross the line and some people will totally not appreciate it. But you do cross the line. Like, and that's what, like you, you are almost like the house racist slash hater but roasting, which is rough because either the, the racial stuff, you know, like using myself as the ultimate example. I mean, it got me on and kept me on the show for so long, but it also probably got me off of the TV portion of the show because I'm sure, um, and you know, I'm, no one's ever told me this, but I can just guess that Comedy Central was like, uh, well, we love Earl, uh, super funny or whatever. Mm -hmm they thought but uh, we can't have that on tv um kenny roast uh so it worked out at the end but like with you it, it's the very same thing like you know uh when you do like the uh you know the the racial side of jokes it's like wow this is this is hitting deep yeah yeah and uh and it's tough because um i understand pretty you know inherently that i'm gonna get a i get a holocaust joke every single battle and so you don't want to not match what they're gonna do as well and so it, it's a tough balance to figure it out but what i i love what you said about how you can learn from losses and i've had i started off with two wins and then i've now had two losses and in a row and my two losses I had more respect, attention, and positivity from than my two wins. And 
what I love about roast battle is it teaches you that sometimes winning isn't winning and sometimes losing isn't losing. Like it's really about putting on a good show and a lot and just growing as a writer and as a performer and really for for me with roast battle that's been like some of the best parts about it is you know this great life lesson of losing isn't always losing uh, my, my two losses have gotten me a lot more credibility than my two wins yeah i mean it depends who your opponents are and like uh you know uh you know, it's, it's, you know, there's certain elements of risk with certain battles, you know, like, uh, you know, my battle with Benji was uh, very risky for me because, uh, there was almost nothing to gain from winning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, because, and I can tell people after I won, it was like, well, dude, uh, you beat a guy who hasn't battled in three years, but Benji, if he battled even semi-regularly would be a top five roaster. Like mm -hmm. he is an animal. He's a killer. He's a great writer and a great comic, great guy. Great episode with you too, by the way. I love listening to how he his basic style is he does a lot of research on people and it's information-based. And then it really showed in your battle because he said a couple things about you that no one had ever even heard of. Yeah, that battle or the joke about, uh, you, you know, Leroy, who was my caretaker as a child, uh, you know, and he was the first person in my life to die that like meant something to me. Like yeah. where, that I actually cried. Uh, you know, I can remember the phone call like it was 10 seconds ago because uh, it was his brother. And I was, it was like, Hey, uh, Earl, is your mom there? And, uh, I was like, no, he's like, well, Leroy's gone. And I'm like, so I was thinking it was like 12 or something. I'm like, oh, where is he? He's gone. I'm like, oh, is he, when's he coming back? He's not, you know, just, so, uh, and Benji had a really funny joke about it. And like, I think I may have talked about it, about Leroy once on a podcast. Uh, yeah, I was say I had listened to a lot of your podcasts. I had never heard this Leroy thing, and so I was very impressed with Benji to have that level of research. But that's how good he is. Like, and and it just uh, you know, so but that battle was like you know, losing to him was a distinct possibility. Like, mm -hmm. I was I go into every battle prepared, not, not prepared to lose, but thinking I'm gonna, like Pat Barker says, I'm facing the best. Whoever you're facing possible so uh the fear of losing really motivates me so yeah it's like what marvin Hagler said when he fought thomas hearns i prepared like uh i prepared like i was the challenger but i fought like i was the champion yeah oh absolutely like you have to uh because that's the great thing about roosevelt anyone can lose you know, oh yeah uh, i'm sarah tiana's lost uh you know uh pat barker's lost uh you've lost i've lost doug fager's lost the only person who has not lost yet is my good friend albert escobedo shout out he's, albert's the best he's still undefe he's still undefeated he moved to he moved to indiana you know to be with his girl i'm proud of him you know he's, oh. I, I had a couple friends who i started uh who got me into roast battle it was nicole buchanan albert escobedo caesar lazardo victor martinez those are the people who i watched do it who are my friends and uh you know, I, I got to give shout outs to them. Oh, and I guess Lindsay Jennings, too. I she I knew her before she did stand up and then I saw her do roast battle and I was like, well, shit, if she is doing roast battle, I should be doing this at this time. I'm ready because everyone was telling me I wasn't ready to do it. I wasn't ready to do it. And then I saw Lindsay do it and I was like, you know, she did great. I bet I could, you know, if, if she can do great, I can do great. Yeah, I mean, not necessarily like, you know, and I'm not talking about you, but yeah. like, you know, there's uh you know, certain people are good at it, not good comics. 
and vice versa. Like me yeah. and Johnny Stewart got into this. It's like, you know, you, you take the best slam dunker in the league. They're not a good uh, three point shooter. Oh yeah. Uh, and it's, it's really a very a similar thing. Uh, uh, you know, and, and, and some of the best ones are like Saratiana, great roaster, great comic. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, Pat Barker, you know, uh, Hooper, you know, Olivia, uh, you know, the duck Vegas a great comic too. So, yeah. uh, but, uh, and, but, you know, you look at, uh, like Caesar is a, a perfect example of a guy who, when he first started, uh, wasn't maybe the best battler. Now he's like killing started and two and now he's four and two. Um. Yeah, and I mean, he's killed the last couple battles. Uh, yeah, he's grown a lot. It's cool to see that too, because he, I, I, as someone I've known him, like, got there are certain people who have certain reputations at the comedy store, and to see people use roast battle to kind of overcome those reputations is, is really cool and empowering. I, you know, people had somewhat of a negative opinion of Caesar at the store, and he kept you know proving his chops at the store plugging away and now people are starting to think a little different about him i think it's you know very well deserved well i think in his case you know the first couple battles he was maybe a little cocky Mm -hmm. and he wasn't doing well and uh, that's the thing about roast battle it's like you you can uh you can be cocky but you gotta win (laughs) or or at least do well yeah you gotta Uh, bring it you know same thing with lou varham yeah one of my one of my last name varham Varham. sorry lou yeah, I like to say he's, like, he's actually, you know, I forgot to mention him. He's one of my friends who actually did it before. And uh, yeah, it, uh, just to watch, you know, Lou, one of my, you know, one of my friends who didn't really have a lot of moments. And then at one point they're chanting his name, you know, after the Ashton Swinford battle, they're chanting his name or he's going after Tony Hinchcliffe, you know, like what other show gives you that opportunity to have these moments? But like he was horrible in his first few battles. Yeah, yeah. And I don't mean that as a shot. Yeah. I really don't. Like, but he was not good. And and then uh, I think it was there was this one magical battle. I forget who he was battling against. It was Ashton Swinford. Okay, but yeah, I, and I don't know if he wrote the jokes. And listen, there's no problem there if he didn't, because I don't write probably fifty percent of my roast jokes. Full disclosure, most people won't admit to that. But there's also a lot of bullshitters on this show. <laughs> yeah, he had that. Yeah, yeah. I love seeing all my friends have like these big, these big moments through this show, and it's just, it's like a really gratifying thing. You, you, you know, uh, that, and it's, it's gonna be fun. Victor Martinez, uh, one of my best friends. He's one of my first friends besides Brandon Bricks that I've ever, I'm, I'm gonna be roasting. And so, when you roast a friend, it's just so much fun. The little intricacies of what we know about each other. It, well, you know, it. I go back and forth on this because, uh, you know, like battling Benji was really tough for me because we're very good friends. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously for 10 minutes, you're in that rabid atmosphere where you have to like act like I don't think Benji's a good comic or a good writer. Or, mm-hmm. You know, it's like, and I don't necessarily like doing that, um, you know, but I also don't like battling people I don't like because then you're just shitting on them. Yeah, it's yeah, not it's really, a little too malicious. There's it, a, but you know, uh, you know, it, that I personally like it when the battlers have a little bit of a uh, a real uh, beef or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, a little animosity. Just because I think you can uh, you can really tell the energy. Uh, like they they're going all in. They want every joke to land. Uh, so like if I had to battle Doug Fager or you or, you know, Barker, or, um, 
you know, Anna Valenzuela. Like I love all those people. So it's like, it would be tough for me to look at, you know, whoever and go, yeah, I don't think you're cute or you're this mm -hmm. or that, but you know, I definitely won't battle people. I don't like anymore. Yeah. It's, it is a tough <clears throat> balance. I had an experience where I roasted someone in Colton, California, and I'd never met them. And it, you know, all my other battles, you know, we were really nice to each other afterward. There was no hard feelings. It was great. And for this battle, there was so many, like, he was so angry afterwards. And, uh, and I was not very pleased with him too, because I had an experience that you talked about once on the podcast where when they, when someone roasts you, you just, you want them to roast based off of like what you are. You know, and he made up a bunch of lies about me. Like, oh, yeah, it's I'm, it's it's a really it's a weird thing. And, and I was in front of nobody. It wasn't like an embarrassing thing. It was just like the annoying thing of I took all this time to write jokes about who you are and what you told me about. And then you just made stuff up about me. You know, it's like, why did I put in the time to learn who you are and try to joke about who you are? If you're just going to say, oh, Eric was molested, you know, just because you're going to throw in an easy joke that way. It's like, you know, it, you, well, it's you, just not cool. Like, yeah. it's like the one, I mean, I said this before, there's no, uh, there's really no rules of roast battle other than no physical violence, mm -hmm. uh, which is good. Uh, but uh, I, I think uh, a, a new rule should be added based on my experience. Uh, was, uh, you can't lie about a joke, man. It's just like, it's it's not right. It's not, you know, there's damage that's done if it's a hard, uh, you know, if it's a, a joke that, you know, certain people believe. And, uh, you know, it's just not cool. It's, it's like, Yeah, it's like when you're describing someone's past in a ro roast joke, no one's going to do the fact checking afterward. What's well, too late? Like, yeah, you know, and once it's once it's out there, it's out there. Perception's reality, and that's the that's the toughest part. With that is, I don't know. Like, I I do believe we should be able to joke about anything and everything, and nothing is off limits. But I do feel like outright lying or putting out false information is it's not only wrong, but I feel like it's just a lazy way to get to a joke easier whereas you know it, you should work a little harder and look within who earl or i actually are and then try to make a joke off of that and not have to make up something well it's just not cool to do and like i've had you know i tried to figure this out the other night i think i've had 12 or 13 battles so yeah most of them one rounders i'm a one round specialist uh, <laughs> but uh you know, I'm like Mike Tyson. I'm I'm a killer for three three to five rounds, and then I fade. Uh, but you know, so I probably told close to eighty to a hundred roast jokes, I guess. Uh, and I've never even come close to telling a lie ever. Not not even remotely close. Because I research like maybe not on a bingey level, but I like you know for Tom Ballard, I had 107 jokes. Uh, you know, of course, my all timer was for Olivia, uh, 406 jokes because wow. our battle kept getting delayed and that's impressive you know it was so bad at one point we both would you know go out to dinner or whatever and we'd tell each other jokes we weren't going to do because we just had to get these jokes out uh but it's uh you know there's ramifications like uh of of uh telling a joke that isn't true or even remotely true 
Uh, and it's just, uh, I mean, I'm still dealing with that. Like I still have people ask me about the particular joke, uh, you know, and it's just, you know, it's not cool. And, uh, but you know, uh, you know, I'm sure people are sick of me talking about this situation and like my ultimate warrior, you know, <laughs> coded messages. No, but, uh, people are, people are fascinated. I, I can't tell you, uh, I was at, Last night I was at Victor Martinez's garage mic shout out. And uh, he, I can't tell you how many people were asking me, are you going to ask Earl about why he quit Rose Battle? Like I, it came up so often. Also, a lot of people are like, please mention me on the podcast, please. Uh, you know, Palmer's. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know your career is in the shitter when you want to be mentioned on this podcast. Uh, but So uh, many people have gone on to stardom just through mentions on Inappropriate Earl. I, I mean, I think it's one of the more successful. Uh, it's not Joe Rogan. No, this know. is this is a big moment for me. I can't tell you how many people were excited for me and how excited I was. I've always wanted to sit on this this couch I've seen in so many Instagram pictures. Like this is a, this is a big moment. I get to see all of Earl's hockey trophies. I get to see that he's like way more organized than I expected. This I'm is, a neat freak. Uh, this is know, impressive. I'm Christian Bale in American Psycho. <laughs> oh my God. This, Very much so. This VHS tape is two inches uh, off the table than the others. Uh, so uh, are these like CDs and videotapes like alphabetized? Uh, not to that degree, but uh, like most of the VHS tapes are hockey fight tapes, <laughs> uh, which I love. I love uh, hockey fights. and uh, Yeah, the goon right here. Yeah, uh, you know, that's a great story. Uh, my uh, friend, uh, John Gallagher, who's a top district attorney back east, he's a huge hockey fan. He wrote a book called Black Ice, which uh, if you haven't gotten it, you like hockey, I, I, it's on Amazon. It's uh, I don't think there's an audio book yet, but it's about not the first black hockey player, but the first black hockey enforcer, which if you think in the 80s, you know, hockey was very much a white sport. Uh, and to have a black player be the best fighter in any league he was in, you know, the racial taunts he would hear. And it, it's really, uh, even if you're not like a hockey fan, I think you would dig the book because it's a human interest story. Oh, it's so fascinating. I mean, not even 10 years ago, I think there was a guy with the last name of Simmons. Wayne and, Simmons. And he had bananas thrown at him at one yeah. at one point. So you and could, so we're talking 10 years ago. This is even farther back. He's the pioneer of what he was doing, essentially. He's the first black enforcer. I mean, I think that's a movie. I'm surprised that's not a movie yet, to be well, honest. Well, I'm trying to. Uh, I probably shouldn't say this uh, out loud on the podcast. I did pitch this to Jason Reitman once after a roast battle, which is, you know, another thing, like, Jason Reitman bought his dad one night, Ivan Reitman, uh, to roast battle. And I, I was just in a real zone that night at the haters table. Like, I was on fire. And uh, to have Ivan, Ivan Reitman come up to me and go, who are you? It's like, wow, that's I could quit roast battle. And that, that's yeah. like meatballs, stripes, uh, twins, like, yeeks. Uh, I have an idea for a movie about the uh, first all-black hockey team to win the Stanley Cup. Uh, and they melt it down to sell at a pawn shop uh, <laughs> that's pretty good i actually pitched it to him and he's like he didn't like you know he was like he didn't like disagree with the idea right away so uh but uh yeah i mean you know i i love roast battles still you know, it's a great show it's, it's you know i i leave uh with a uh 
We hope you'll be Good back. Heart. I mean, I don't see. Uh, I just don't like seeing certain people up there every week, uh, you know. And I'm at the point in my life where if something doesn't make me happy, I don't do it anymore. Do you like? What do you think could bring you back? Would it be like? Uh, would it be a particular battle? Would it be a, like a change to the dynamic of the power structure? Oh no! I mean, the power structure is great. I mean, me and Moses have an amazing relationship. So like, this is uh, and me and Jeff Ross get along uh, great. Uh, he's oh been, yeah, those guys are awesome. I mean, I got no problems with that. I just, uh, you know, like I said, going back to the the battles, I just believe the battles should be rankings based, and you know, I, I'm not going to go around people's backs and do shady moves to get you know like to battle you know whoever it's like well i'm ranked three he's two let's battle and then the winner gets the title shot not you know well uh you know uh you know i brown knows this particular person and uh, so i get the title shot but i take it the rankings more like i've said uh, probably repeated myself already too much for most people's taste like i'm a very like you know literal person so like you know when uh buster douglas beat mike tyson evander holyfield was ranked number three he got the title shot uh so it's just the way it is not well buster douglas beat tyson but well Buster Douglas is friends with Tommy Morrison, so he, Tommy Morrison gets the title shot. It's like it doesn't work like that to me. Yeah, oh, well, this is like why they invented the college football playoff because you had all these teams saying, "Oh, I'm the best team of the year. I should be playing in the championship," and yet they there were like arbitrary things that determined who would be in the in the championship like oh does your fan base travel well and how much tv ratings are we going to get from this like it, it should just be based about what have you done in competition well i do think that uh you know i know a big thing in, in in that regard was strength of schedule like you know which does make sense i mean like if usc beats utah state by I don't know why I pick Utah State, but maybe they're trash. From Utah. But like, I don't know what a bad college football program is. If USC beats uh, Hawaii, yeah, you know, by sixty points, and then UCLA loses to Nebraska, uh, you know, the number two ranked team in the country. You know, who's the better team? Probably UCLA. Yeah. So it's like you get back to, uh, you know. Uh, I don't want to mention names, uh, but like you have certain roasters who are like six and two, you know, six and one, whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, it's like, well, that's a better record than Earl. Earl's lost twice, but like, who's he lost to? Like, mm -hmm. Tiana, you know, and Winnie Rice would have been a great roaster if she, you know, yeah, she, yeah. it wasn't her style, but like, you know, who have you lost to? Uh, you know, uh, this person that person so it's, i do think strength of schedule should uh, be a factor in in, in mm -hmm. the elite rankings like you know would you have uh you know there's a couple people probably ranked 35 or whatever who are you know six and one but you know they haven't had one top 10 opponent yeah yeah that like my friend albert escobedo that's been his big criticism and so up next on his fight card he's got omid singh and pat barker yeah. so no after that no one will have that complaint about him because he's facing two of the best and if he loses to either one he'll probably get more respect than it's, it's, you definitely wins. get more like i think that's why i'm uh, one of the more respected roasters is because of my fight card yeah uh, you know i mean my first couple matches were you know not the hardest opponents but uh, almost no win opponents. Like I beat the wrestler John Morrison. 
That's cool. Uh, he's a great guy, but like no one really knew who he was in the room. So he's doing jokes about like my ex-girlfriend, uh, you know, doing whatever behind, you know, that situation. And then I'm doing jokes about his ex-girlfriend fucking Batista. Uh, and it was like, it didn't, it was a hard battle to, to win. Cause it's like, no one knew who Batista was. Yeah. So no one knew who John Morrison was. So it was like, I'm doing these kind of inside wrestling jokes to an inside roast battle room. So, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, in it, the, my funniest, like, memory of that battle was like you know here's a guy who's been in wrestlemania wrestling in front of seventy thousand people before literally that amount of people and i said to him hey you know dude rose pal's a wacky room dude it's, it's very uh intense and he just looked at me like dude come on i've been at wrestlemania i've wrestled you know dolph ziggler hulk hogan or whoever uh, you know i'm good and the second he got on stage you could tell he was like oh fuck this is a weird you know this is i'm in it it, it's the most intense thing I've ever done in stand-up, and that's why I love Roast Battle, because every time I do Roast Battle, the next time I just go up on stage for stand-up, it is like taking ankle weights off. It's just the, the pressure's off. It's so much easier. Like there, After you go through the ringers of Roast Battle, other things in comparison are easier. It's truly baptism by fire, and if you can survive it, you're going to be much stronger for it. Oh yeah, it's like it makes your stand up easier from the standpoint of like, uh, you know, like before roast battle and when I, you know, had to follow funny people, I was petrified and you know, like last night, you know, I mean, we, if you get a Saturday night spot in the OR at the store, you're following the fucking funny people. Yeah, uh, only the best. I mean, uh, the lineups last night were unbelievable. I mean, Nick Yusuf brought me up and he was killing. And then Michael Costa was killing. And, you know, Leslie Jones and, and Arsenio Hall and, uh, you know, Steve Simone and uh, Annie Letterman. And like, it, it's like insane, the talent level. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but because of roast battle and just that frenetic energy in the room, it's like, I'm not saying I went up there going, okay, this is going to be easy, but you're like, all right, this is a lot more chill atmosphere than roast battle. I, I think I can do okay. Yeah. You were very prepared to handle the emotion of the room because you had handled even oh. bigger emotions and other in the belly room many times. And hecklers are now, not that I get heckled too much, but like, you know, I, I don't, but like, you know, there was a girl last night, hot girl. She was with some huge black dude. And, the, you know, the dude was really cool. Uh, I think it might have been Lexington Steel. He looked just like him. Uh, <laughs> but uh, this girl, was she was loaded. And she was having fun with me. But she was probably maybe interacting a little too much. And uh, it was just easy to slam her down little by little. Uh, just due to roast battle. Like, you know, yeah. which is, roast battle is a great training ground for, uh it's like jujitsu up there. Like, you know, you have to have so many skill sets to, you know, we all gave each other shit. Like, you know, you know, David Lucas gave me shit and then Jeff Ross gave me shit. And then I give Haiti shit. And then Haiti gives Moses shit. And then coach T gives Jeremiah. Like, it's like <laughs> jujitsu with a pinball. Just, you have to be so sharp and it really sharpens you up. Oh yeah. No matter what your stand up style is, whether you're, you know, dry and sarcastic like me or like, you know, a little more energetic like Jeremiah. So, yeah, and I reject the notion that roast battle doesn't help you with your stand up. I think it's almost like isolation training for setup writing and punchline writing. 
And then when you're on stage, you get so much like performance growth out of it because how many times in LA are you going to have uh, you know, five or six dozen people glued to everything you do. And so when people are fully paying attention to everything you do, you just, you get so much more out of like the performance aspect and trying to control that room. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, if you, if you can work the, the belly room, uh, during roast battle, uh, you know, you can, any room you do, whether it's the rowdiest bar show or, uh, you know, a rowdy backyard, uh, you know, I did a show last night, the great Joseph P. Larkin, the legend of Joseph P. Larkin, uh, you know, it's, you should say my foray into the alt world. Uh, he, <laughs> he uh, had a show at this art gallery that he lived in. It was the opening and the closing. Like, I guess they kicked him out of his apartment or whatever. So he had a, a comedy show there. And like five or six years ago, I don't know if I would have been, uh, even though I'd been doing comedy for 10 years, even at that juncture, I don't know if I would have been able to, uh, do as well as I did last night, just because it's like everyone's smoking pot and like, you know, you had to really grab the audience last night or they were going to fade out into smoking weed or just walk outside mm -hmm. and s smoke cigarettes or whatever. So roast battle, I think really, um, teaches you to work the crowd. Your timing gets better. You know, I mean, that's probably what it's helped me the most with is like, you know, there's so many verbal assassins in that room. You know, when you got a Mike Lawrence, a Tony Hinchcliffe, a Theo Vaughn, and the judging, you got, you got guys like you and David Lucas, super, super, super fast. You got Moses, who's super, super fast. And Coach T is the fastest by a mile up there. Mm -hmm. Like, you have to pick your spot and you have to go now, or else the line's too late. Yeah, the, the window of opportunity is so small. My first battle after Brandon does a rap. Oh, yeah, you know. Yeah, it was like there was a moment, but all I got to say. Full disclosure, I'm, I I tried to do a hand signal uh, yeah, to I'm Eric just now. I got to pee because uh, I drank too much water. So bring us this moment while I pee. Yeah, I, I, you know, for me, there was, you know, there's such a small window of opportunity for when these moments happen. Like in Rose Battle, you only have such a small window for that rebuttal to hit or else that moment is gone. Brandon Bricks does this really amazing rap on me and uh, you know, he's a bigger black guy. And so my rebuttal to him was, man, he's out of shape, but he sure is good at those monkey bars. And that, that the window of opportunity for that joke was literally one second because you had Haiti saying, don't lose. And then you had Earl saying, um, good luck following that. And then if I didn't say it right in that moment, the moment's gone. The whole chance for me to win is gone. And that joke doesn't work anymore. And so it, this show is all about timing. And, you know, when you watch a master at it, like Earl or Mike, you know, you, you take notes and you try to get to that level. Yeah. And it's also, you know, like I, I said, you know, you, I never want to embarrass a battler or, or ruin his punchline. Like I remember one time and I, I still feel bad about it, even though I, I think he knows I, it wasn't malicious, but Chris Lev was battling uh, Nicole Amy, who's mm -hmm. a dear, dear friend of mine. And uh, she was on that show, Funny Girls. So uh, yeah. 
uh, Moses brought her up. Uh, yeah, here's uh, Nicole Amy. She was on Funny Girls. And I instantly said, well, that's false advertising. <laughs> and that was his first joke. Yeah. Like, I, I, he hadn't been brought to the stage yet. Yeah. So it's like, you know, you also try and be uh, aware of not stepping on punchlines. And that, yeah, that is the tough part. I, um, I remember once, like, Matt Legrand was going against Galena Ravina, and his first joke was like a Selena Gomez joke, and like someone used it. But it's also like, if your first joke can be thought of by a judge within like 30 seconds of them seeing the battler, you might want to go a little deeper than that if within 30 seconds they can come up with what you came up with. Well, it's also, it goes back to, uh, you know, I think if I were to give advice to anyone, Rose, he's like, don't go for the obvious right off the bat. Like you got to figure Nicole in that case. And, you know, here, of course I went for the obvious, but, mm -hmm. uh, you know, she was probably loaded up on funny girls, uh, jokes. And I, you know, I, had, I think three of the cast members on the show. So, you know, you know, I watched every episode of the show, uh, but you know, the show was, uh, maybe not met in the most favorable light by comics. So, uh, yeah, you know, but, uh, you know, to not go for the obvious, you have to, you know, really dig deep and write down, uh, other, uh, potential targets, which a lot of people don't, a lot of people think they can wing it kind of even still to this day. Mm -hmm. Like there was two, uh, Hispanic roasters, I think maybe two, three weeks ago. And, uh, the one guy you could just tell he didn't really prepare a lot and yeah it was bad like, so you know the one i remember the one I'm, it was one of the three times when haiti won in a row that night right and uh i know the one guy with the curly hair uh he's awesome and yeah. he felt really bad but like the other dude was like you could just tell was kind of winging it and like uh you know and jeff ross is there it's like you're trying to get on this show you know there's going to be multiple seasons coming up uh you know this is your shot to get, get up in front of the guy whose name is on the show yeah. uh and i'm sure you know every week uh, or most every week uh, executives are in the room or, or watching on periscope they watch every week you know you, it's just so stupid to waste an opportunity because you see what the show's done for you know moses me you know jeremiah you uh, mm -hmm. you know it's like even if you don't get on the TV show, there's still opportunities to be had. You know, that's how I got on the Showtime show. It just, you know, uh, one week, just the writer from I'm Dying Up Here was there. I said, who's this guy? Bingo, four episodes. Uh, so there's, you know, just don't think of it as getting on Roast Battle season three. Yeah. Because we all want that, you know. Sure, you know, but like, there's other things out there you can get yeah, from this of, show. There's a lot of other ancillary opportunities. Um, what the one thing I was going to ask you about is, please do, is like you're the king of rebuttals. How did that occur? Like, was that always your style in comedy where you were kind of reactionary? Like, were you that guy in conversation with your buddies where if someone said something, you just always had the funny quip and response to it? Like, how did you become like? You really, out of everyone who does roast battle, if you throw a fastball down the middle at Earl, he will crush it out of the park. And most people can't do that with rebuttals. Well, I would say I'm. I would say I'm actually second now to rebuttals to Doug Fager. Oh well, Doug. Yeah, but or we're one A and one B or whatever. Doug's had the had some amazing moments with judges. Like he's 
if a judge talks to Doug, you better be ready because Doug brings it. But I would say in battle, you've had you would you would have a higher percentage of rebuttals that well, you use. And I mean, so what I'm saying by that is your strategy is almost all rebuttals and you to the point where you don't even like to go first, you know, and so I'm a counter puncher. Yeah. So how did you develop this style? Because I think it's fascinating because I don't think I could ever do this. Like, I think it's so impressive. Well, I mean, uh, you know, I won't say in like my first uh, couple battles, uh, you know, I, I really didn't know what I was doing up there. But uh, I think once I started uh, facing the, the stiffer competition, um, you know, I thought, uh, you know, I'm I'm just more comfortable. Like, I know where I'm going to get hit. Like, I, I don't have a lot of targets, but I do have targets, you know, the age, the Kennedy thing, uh, you know, uh, you know, my last uh, girlfriend, you know, the age yeah, difference. Yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm comfortable, you know, you know I just write rebuttals like, um, you know, so I'm very well prepared like other, you know, and it's like I have a few maybe other side uh, targets people could hit like your career. Or, or whatever and but that helps me go well uh i get spots here you get spots at norms yeah <laughs> uh, so i hope they bring up my career uh you know i was on season one <laughs> first person picked you were completely cut out <laughs> or weren't even considered yeah, good yeah. work and then you know it gets into who you slept with in the room which is big targets and you know it's like uh i'm very uh well versed with those rebuttals uh so uh you know it's just you have to uh you know the best battlers i think are super honest with themselves like mike lawrence mm -hmm. you know he's uh breaks down so many walls because he you know he knows that most people are going to hit him with a you're creepy looking mm, or, or whatever mcdonald's you worked at mcdonald's for seven years blah 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 you know tony hinchcliffe although he doesn't battle a lot you know he knows people are going to go after his special mm. uh you know and it's like uh, you know like if i were tony i'd be like hey uh when's your special air Oh, yeah. you don't have one. Yeah, Suck it. Yeah. Uh, so that's like a good rebuttal he could use. And, uh, yeah. you know, if you if you like if you're balding or whatever, you know, and, you know, just have rebuttals for it. Like I'm more comfortable writing rebuttals uh, like when I write when I do a battle uh, or when I did battles, uh, <laughs> I first thing I do and I've told this before, so it's kind of repeating it, but uh I don't write jokes about my opponent. I go upstairs in my full-length bathroom mirror. I disrobe. I'm completely <laughs> naked. And I say, okay, physically, what can they make fun of? Uh, do I have a belly? Do I have, uh, you know, whatever? Uh, do I have shoulder bones that stick out? Uh, you, you know, and, you know, I, although I don't look as good as Haiti, I'm, you know, I'm mm -hmm. looking okay. So, uh, it's not a lot you can say about me visually. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I go, okay, well, what am I going to be wearing that night on stage? And my leather pants and, you know, maybe a Kiss t-shirt. They could make fun of that. So you write rebuttals for that. Uh, and then, uh, you know, you think, okay, what outside of the age and Kennedy thing, all right, they're probably going to do a joke about an, an ex-girlfriend or whatever, you know, uh, write rebuttals for that. And, you know, then you... And then I kind of start looking at them going, okay, what's funny about them? And I almost don't even write 
like this guy is so fat blah 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 i'll turn it into uh a rebuttal like yeah i might be old but you're fucking fat and gonna die soon so yeah you always you you almost always incorporate a piece of yourself within the joke uh structure which is interesting like you, you usually acknowledge a piece of, of something within yourself and then you go after them which which is very interesting only a few battlers really do that i think olivia is one of the best at that like taking a piece of yourself and then using that as a launch off point for the joke that's and where it, i learned it from like oh really to be honest i mean you know uh to a degree like i probably i i think i think most people would have thought it was the other way around so that's really interesting well i think she i had seen her battle before she ever saw me battle uh you know but like i i remember her first battle i think it was against matt cole and you know he was hitting her with you know um you know fat jokes and makeup jokes mm -hmm. and and i forget her rebuttals but they were very much along the lines of well i might be fat but i'm still not gonna fuck you yeah you yeah. know and you've tried uh so she turned what you know and she's not fat and she never has been but like once again yeah yeah it's for it's, the roast it's battle not it's, compliment battle uh yeah uh, uh see you lesson uh, <laughs> and you know like her makeup's always always looks great but you know there were maybe times where she wore it a little more uh mm -hmm pronounce and people would say oh you look like a clown or whatever and and she like you know essentially uh, yeah well i may look like a clown but uh i'm not fucking you so yeah yeah it's, it's so she turns she, her she lures them in with that yeah she turns her weakness roasting weakness into their weakness and then you can't really rebut that because you can't really rebut a rebuttal um, yeah and it's like i knew uh you know it's it's really the strategy is is how i you know would determine how i operate like you know with her when we battled at riot like i knew she was gonna be more likable than me it's just she just is uh but i figured if i just created a fucking circus in the room and like almost made her not irrelevant but like you know i i would you know, I ripped on the crowd. I ripped on the judges. You know, I, I, I think I even took a shot at Moses and, you know, the people who were hating that night. I mean, I shut them down real easy. Uh, and so, you know, I didn't look like as quite of a dick then if I just would have just hammered her with the, and we were dating at the time. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, looking back, it's probably the one battle I wish I didn't do because uh, it uh, might have, uh, you know, caused uh, psychological, uh, you know, problems on, on us both. But, uh, you know, uh, you know, what can you do? We battled. And because uh, I thought back then, you know, she was the best battler. I don't know yeah. what the rankings were at that time, but I'm like, she's the best. I want to see if I can beat her. Yeah, well, especially like for her age, like there was like a real buzz about her. Like, look at this person who's this young and yet putting out these results. It just stands out more because it's like you see not only what they have, but the potential that they could have in the future. Oh, she's a killer. Like, yeah. And so it's like not only do you look at Olivia and say, oh, she has it now. But you look at someone who's young like that and you go, I wonder what they're going to become if they're this good now. It's like an exciting possibility. But I, I found it really fascinating. You said that your style was kind of adopted from her watching her. I think that's really interesting. I would have never guessed that. I would have thought that you already had it like ingrained. I mean, I probably did, but I, I think seeing how she did it and how she was so successful at it and like, 
you know, like it made me go, yeah, that's that's a good strategy to turn your weakness into their weakness. Like, um, you know, like if someone makes fun of my family, uh, you know, it's like, uh, yeah, well, one of my uncles was probably the greatest president of all time. Uh, you were fucked by your uncle. <laughs> so uh, now that could be getting into that area where we were lying, m making up a lie. But yeah, like, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, you, I think the best battlers are, are, are the ones who like turn any physical or psychological defect into the other person's defect. Uh, yeah, because it, it just takes away one thing that you can attack them for. Yeah, you have to disarm, like, um, you know, you have to try and disarm whoever you're battling. And, and so you make, it's like the Belichick thing. You, you take away their the strength. And, uh, and then you have to, like, if you're the Steelers, you know, their, their best players are Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Le 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 Bell. Le Bell. And so if you take away them, you're forcing them to go to their tight end, who's maybe not quite, mm -hmm. you know, uh, as good as uh, that area of their offensive game plan. But Belichick is forcing you to go to, to your, your weakness. Yeah, he's saying to Ben Roethlisberger, I know who you want to throw to. I'm going to change it up. And that's... That's kind of the great thing about roast battle is you're saying, you know, I I know what targets you want to hit. I'm either going to make it so if you go for that target, I'm going to I'm going to make that target backfire or if you, you know, try to go for the other person, it's just not going to work. Yeah, I mean, you just have to uh you just have to prepare, you know, it's like not that hard really. I mean, roast battle is a very simple uh, it's not like roasting is reinventing the wheel. It's, it's, you know, I think in general, I would say that in every battle, the most prepared battler wins, mm -hmm. you know, Pat Barker, that's why he's so amazing is he prepares like he, you know, you're not going to outwork outright or out prepare him, which is why he doesn't lose very much. Uh, same thing with Doug. You're not going to outride him. Uh, you know, he, he will do research. You're not going to out research me. Like I will, you know, you know, you're not looking for dirt. Like, Hey, did they cheat on their boyfriend? But you know, it's going to come out, you know, and, uh, who, who have they fucked in this room? So, you, you know, maybe, maybe they have a girlfriend like, mm -hmm. uh, and you know, you, you know, you can get personal up there. Uh, so, uh, it's really, uh, that's what I love about it's more like, you know, when I watch the UFC, I'm always more fascinated than this uh, about the strategy of the fighters than mm -hmm. the actual fight. So, yeah, yeah, the strategy is so in uh, of roast battle is so intense. I can't tell you how much time I spend selecting jokes versus like writing jokes. I find writing jokes is easy, I find selecting jokes is like such a task because at some point, if you're good enough at writing, you're gonna have eight to 12 jokes that people like for three slots yeah and like in a one round battle uh you know i mean i know in, for roast battle on tv it's four jokes and i think a fifth if it goes to overtime but like in uh you know the regular tuesday show it's like three jokes like if one joke bombs you're you know you're That's hurt 33 percent right there yeah it's like you know my first joke against tiana didn't do great didn't bomb but it didn't do great so i was behind and you're playing catch up and then you have to hope her next joke bombs and then yours kills and then you're even yeah. and then you have to hope that then you, you know, win the next round yeah she has one more bomb and then you know so it's like uh it's the pressure to 
pick uh, the correct jokes and the order of the jokes uh, is uh, that's another part of the strategy that uh, some people are good at and some aren't. For the for my two losses, I I have a full battle's worth of good jokes that I didn't pick. And that's where the regret comes in. You know, that's where you, that's where the, you know, after a loss, you stay up that whole night, you know, thinking, oh, could I have done this differently? Could I have done that differently? But the, that's the cool part about roast battles. There's so many lessons to be learned. And I've never had a show that made me grow as a comedian, as a writer, and as a person like this, because it just, it brings the best out of you and it pushes you to, to work as hard as you can at, at comedy. And I don't think a lot of shows can motivate you like that. What's well, like the ultimate example of that is uh, the Versi triplets when they battled the wave. Uh, they were filming uh, my half hour submission for Comedy Central, which I didn't get, but it's all good. Uh, but uh, their battle with the wave was the next night and they were telling me their jokes and they had that joke about uh, um, the wave is a lot like uh, the hurricane, the hurricane, the bigger they get, the more they fuck over Haiti. Yeah. Yeah. And they were going to use that if they were going to use it as the throwaway joke. When Moses goes, well, why do you guys want to battle the wave? Wow. Like, you guys can't do that. You That either has to be your opener or your closer. And they looked at me kind of like, like really? And, and I think it was uh, their opener and it killed. It won them the battle. Yeah, it did. Yeah. And that, that happens all the time. One of my favorite examples of that was Heather Maruli versus Danielle Perez. Heather Maruli's best joke she used as the intro. And it's like if you would just like her, her joke was, how can you defeat someone who's already been defeated? And that was her intro joke. Not even one of her battle jokes. And it's like, you know, some people don't even realize the gold they have within and I there was I told Joe Urell three jokes that I didn't use. He liked all three of them almost more than the one that I used that didn't work. And you know Katrina Davis, same thing. I had three jokes that I didn't use, and those probably did those probably would have done a lot better than the first two I used. But that's the cool part about roast battle is you have to make these really big decisions under a lot of pressure after a lot of preparation and you get to see the results of it. And it's sometimes it's the best feeling in the world. And sometimes you just are like, well, I got to go back to the drawing board. I mean, you never know until you spit out the joke. Like uh, I remember in uh, the hotel room uh, in Montreal, when me and Omid came up with the, uh, the Jimmy Carr joke, uh, uh, wow, you're in great shape, Jimmy. I guess all those years running from your dad paid off. Yeah. Uh, and that was one of the jokes that bombed and looking back now, I, and we thought when we did that joke in the hotel room, we were jumping, literally jumping up and down. We're like, this is a joke that's going to win me this battle. Yeah. Cause no one thought I could beat him. Nobody. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, I didn't set it up properly cause I yeah, knew like he was going to bring up my family. And yeah, the, the yeah. setup was, well, Jimmy, you have a restraining order against your dad. I didn't do that on the TV portion. So I think people were just like, what does that mean running from his dad? Yeah, yeah. That's the the toughest part of our roast battle is you probably have like, you know, a couple sentences to have the context, the setup, and the punchline. And that's why you you learn so much about word economy and editing and how to be concise in roast battle because you have to have the whole thing 
in a sentence or two. And a lot of the, a lot of the times if you, if like with your joke, all it took was a little more context of, and it kills. Yeah. Yeah. And it destroys. And it, we're talking the difference between a zero and a 10 yeah. is two words, basically two or three words. And that's the, that's the craziness of joke writing and t- joke telling. And that's why we're so addicted to it is because when you finally crystallize the, like what is, what makes something funny and you hit it, it's the best feeling in the world. And then when it goes wrong, it is very painful and it very, it very much, it teaches you so much. It gives you so much motivation to not have that feeling ever again. No, it's very, it's high risk, high reward, but that's what makes the show great. You know, it's, uh, you know, I, I took, you know, against my battle with Jesse Joyce, I took some calculated risk about, uh, you know, the strategy uh, part of the show. Like he's, he's a wordsmith and he's a great, amazing writer. I mean, he gets paid to write. Uh, I don't. So, uh, but I knew his jokes, at least I thought his jokes would go long. So, uh, you know, I was very uh, calculating and, and making him go first. Mm-hmm. Uh, he could have said no, and it could have been awkward. And then Jeff could have been like, well, oh, you go first. And my whole strategy would have been thrown out the window. Yeah. But uh, he took the bait, so to speak, and uh, he went first. And his first joke, it just kept going and mm-hmm. going. And uh, it was like literally Jimmy Carr style, like three jokes. And, uh, you know, I think my rebuttal was like, wow, that joke lasted longer than your first marriage. Yeah, it's a classic. It's it, a classic way to undercut someone who's said a long joke. It's like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really brilliant. Uh, and then uh, I my follow up joke was going to be about Greg Giraldo and who was his best friend. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I really stepped on his throat. Uh, but if uh, for some reason he would have hesitated and said, I don't want to go first, you go first or like it was boy. yeah who knows how the tone of that whole battle changes he could have killed me i mean yeah. he had seven pages of jokes in his hand like i was like oh fuck i've got like maybe six uh so uh, but you know it worked out and then you know against tiana it didn't work out because she knew the strategy that i don't like to go first uh she was the first one who who researched that and made you yeah. do that uh so i mean i believe that i would have you can't say you would have beaten her but like I would have done much better if I would have heard her first joke and then I could have adjusted. But that's what makes the show great. It's like, you know. And that's what makes her one of the best. She did the research. She looked, she she pretty much did, like went into game tape like a, like yeah. a football coach, like Mike Tomlin would and said, oh, what is my opponent's tendencies? My opponent goes second every single time. And so you got to give Sarah Tiana credit. She put in the time and she's a, she's pretty smart. To oh. understand how to how to change the whole dynamic of it. Oh, she's great. And then you know, uh, I was lucky enough to be there in the first, you know, like the untelevised season. So there's there's really been three seasons of roast battle, but like the first season it was called something different, the Jeff Ross Roast Masters Invitational. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, I was lucky enough to see like Kay Trevor, uh, you know, who's a legend in Canada, like, and he's a super nice guy, and like he beat Tiana. And uh, he beat Ashley Barnhill. So I was like, just facing him for third, I was petrified. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was a little disheartened because I was like, fuck, I wanted to win. Uh, but it, you know, worked out. So, uh, Eric, where can people, we have three more minutes on the tape. So, yeah. where can people find you on Twitter and Instagram? So, my name's Eric Abenante, A B B E N A N T E. If you type in my name to any social media thing, you will find me. I'm the only Eric Abenante. 
And then um, I have a show I've been writing for way too goddamn long, but I'm finally going to be shooting it this year called Buds. So the, the show, uh, so the YouTube page will be called Buds Show. And uh, yeah, you can just find me in all those places, Eric Abenante or Bud Show. Um, pretty easy to find. I'm the only Abenante, basically, aside from my cousins. So yeah, that's about it. And uh, just want to say, hopefully we can get Earl the proper battle and maybe he'll come out of retirement. Well, uh, you know, I have a lot of clothes in my house, but I have very few belts. <laughs> so those are the only things I'm interested in. I'm like Dolph Lundgren and Universal Soldier. I collect the ears of my victims. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'll leave... The podcast, first of all, thank you very much, Eric. It's a two-hour podcast. It was great. That's uh, awesome. Thank you. And, uh, you know, Eric's a good dude, so become a fan of his. Support him in uh, any way you can. You know, follow him on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Uh, and, uh, you know, <sighs> some of you people are going to learn some real valuable lessons out there. Real valuable, you know. You know, it's, like I said, uh Johnny Stewart, you know, shows you're on, don't last forever. So you might be walking around the comedy store, Kingfish, and, you know, when the show's over and you got to go up there as a stand-up, let's just say you better pray and hope the Laugh Factory thinks you're funny. Because <laughs> one of the benefits about the way I've chosen to live my life as a stand-up comic is everyone loves me. Don't have one enemy in this business. And a lot of people value my opinion behind the scenes. A lot of people. A lot of people. You palm. <laughs> don't think I'm not the first guy. Hey, Earl, what do you think of this person? Hey, Earl, you've been on the scene. What's up? So should think about the long-term ramifications of your actions because once you're in my crosshairs, you don't leave it. Now you may think, oh, he says, oh, comic who's never made it. Well, guess what? I got a big dick. <laughs> I got more money than you. And there's nothing in life I have that I need. I want it. I have it. If I don't have it, I don't want it. So you guys have your little battles and I'll live knowing my reputation is secure. There's a reason I don't have to battle every other week. Think about that. You have to battle every other week because if you don't, you're irrelevant. Hey, have a nice weekend, guys. 